Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert along with rhino in the element wealth studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music on this hump day it is a bit of a breezy day out there a little front i believe is moving through the area but it's supposed to be cloudy and mild cloudy and mild okay well, that I would say that's what we got here. Cloudy and mild. But it don't matter because them airplanes weren't flying this morning, were they? <laughs> I thought I saw a report where they finally got the snafu situated. But, yeah, that was a sticky situation for anyone trying to travel early this morning. Very much so. Grounded all the flights, did the FAA, until just a little while ago, right? They uh, lifted... They lifted the restriction, and the problem was that uh, there was an outage in the FAA's notice-to-air mission system. It's also known as a NOTAM. N-O, that's the acronym, all caps, N-O-T-A-M. I gotta, I got to tell you, from my flying days... I don't think that's what that stands for. Yeah, I thought it was... Yeah, it used to be notice to airmen. Oh, well, you can't have that. That's offensive. Yeah. What about air women? <laughs> air trans women? <laughs> and zers? <laughs> and dragons? Uh, air attack helicopters? Oh, wait, that was already there. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking at it. The uh, the acronym was changed. I didn't even know that. In 2021, it went from notice to airmen to the now notice to air mission. So I just pulled that up and I said, wait, that's not what NOTAM stands for. <laughs> and it turns out uh, in in a little over a year, a year and a month, since the name was changed, notice, <laughs> notice to air mission is the more politically correct approach. We can't say notice to airmen. <laughs> Heaven forbid. <laughs> so, and all the all that really is the no tams. 
They are what you think. They're just notices. They're just information that would pertain to air travel, operating an aircraft. Could be closure of a runway, for example, system being closed, uh, change in traffic patterns, just any number of things you need to know that are different than the standards, different than what's published in uh, the, the, the various navigational resources, approach plates, departure routes, etc. And there may just be, normally it's an outage of something. You may have, for example, the instrument landing system, known as the ILS, may be out on a particular runway at a particular airport, and it just... So when you file, you get that NOTAM, you file your flight plans, what I mean there, so that you'll be aware. And normally, in the filing process, the system, it used to be you have to call, do that, and you tell them where you're going and all the other information you got to provide as part of a flight plan. Flight service would record that. Now you can do it online, yourself. File would that be plan. used to let pilots know that, say, power was lost to runway lights at a certain airport? Absolutely. That would be an example. That the lights are out. You could, like, I've seen one before where there was haze created by fires, okay, that could possibly not only interfere with your your visibility, but uh, I can tell you, I've flown over fires before, wildfires, at a low altitude, because I was headed into the airport, and smoke literally gets in the cockpit, and it's a problem. I mean, it's not a problem such that you can't see. It's not that kind of deal, like you're at the heart of the fire, the core of the fire. But it's, it's like, wow, this is weird. You know, we got you don't like to smell smoke in the cockpit. That's an example. So these are no tabs. Now it's notice to air mission. Okay. we <laughs> glad we got that taken care of. That's about as important as Joe Biden shutting down gas stoves. I'll tell you what, what a valiant effort that is to go out there and get those gas stoves. But don't worry, the Inflation Reduction Act has <laughs> money for you if you want to go out and get an electric range, except it's not going to cover the cost of the range. <laughs> It's so And pay no attention to the fact that these same idiots that are pushing all this green nonsense were totally fine with natural gas just a decade ago. What happened to that? I thought that was the clean energy. Now we can't use that. So, you know, it's almost like they're making all this crap up as they go along. (laughs) The the main thing about just the feature of liberalism and this, this continuous quest for rules, regulations, laws, restrictions, is that at the heart and, and the common thread in all of that is you got to do with less. You, you, you get less choice, less, fewer options, you just got to make do with less. We never think about, well, why don't we figure out a way to solve that problem so that we don't have to do with less? 
Because that requires actual innovation, and there's not a single Democrat that's an innovator. Everything is about... So, is, is it true, I believe, that the ban on incandescent light bulbs, I think that went into effect yesterday or today. I don't think that means the shelves are going to be empty, but maybe that no more can be manufactured? Which they did that under Obama, and it was a nightmare, too. Right. And I'm, I'm not sure if it's the, the, this is the effective date. I, I don't know. But I remember that, and I went out and bought a bunch of incandescent light bulbs. I filled up my cabinets because I don't like I don't like the light that emits from the uh, just the tone of that that comes from others LED, etc. I think the ter- correct terminology is the temperature. Oh, the I think they measure it in temperature. Okay. Could be wrong though. Well, um, I know they measure the power in wattage. And, That's and how the, you get like the hundred watt bulb, the fifty watt bulb. But I think the actual light itself is measured in temperature. Lumens. Well, that's the intensity. Yeah. Okay. Well, but I'd like not... the quality of light okay. is the temperature. All right. I think it comes from an old measuring system when it was actually burning stuff to get certain. Okay. Certain that, types. Yeah, of that light. makes sense. Well, I don't like the LED stuff as much as I do incandescent. I, I like the. Uh, the, what do you call it? The light, I, I said tone was a word. We come up with another word. But uh, it's so incandescent bulbs. That's very important, isn't it? Very important that you can't Yeah, use. the color temperature scale okay. goes from candlelight to blue sky. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, gosh. I, again, it's all about making you do with less. Everything is about that. And it's like we're constantly going in reverse, reverting to. We never go f- forward. You will own nothing. Dude, and you will be happy. And you'll be happy about it. I thought we fought. It's nanny state. Didn't we fight a war over that? Wasn't that at, at, the, at the heart of the war for independence? Was to escape the nanny state. State. Of George III. I thought that was all about. We're going backwards. We're returning to those days. You can't have incandescent light bulbs and no gas stoves. And were the folks that thrive on all those rules and regulations and control and making you do with less, they're like exuberant during the, certainly during the COVID era. And again, I know I've said this many times. The poster child for that was that idiot in Nassau County on the tennis courts. No doubles. <laughs> oh yeah, you're gonna you're gonna end up in the hospital with COVID if you play tennis doubles outside. You can play singles, no doubles. <laughs> Unbelievable. It's always about doing with less. Doing with less. We are totally going in reverse. Can't stand it. We're going to come right back here in the Element Well Studios with Congressman Mike Ezel at 11.05 today. It's State Senator Joel Carter. Stay with us. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. 
Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Middays. We are in the Element Wealth Studios. Joining us now, Congressman Mike Ezel. He represents Mississippi's 4th Congressional District. Good morning, Congressman. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Hey, we got you there? Okay, yeah, I got my phone here, and I'm looking at you on the screen. Yes, sir. uh, you know, sometimes you got to improvise. Yes, sir. Good to see you. So I wanted to have you on today in the wake of uh, a very eventful first few days there at the House <laughs> of Representatives is one way to put it. Uh, give us kind of your thoughts uh, about this protracted process to get a speaker seated. What did you think about all that, sir? Well, I'll tell you this. I uh, At first, I was you know kind of like the old deer in the headlights. And then, uh, as I did, you know, I, I learned pretty fast, uh, especially when it comes to dealing with people. I've done that my whole life. And, uh, I tell you what I saw was a, uh, kind of remind me of the old Friday night football game and, uh, behind closed doors when the coach would get you in there after a uh, halftime and let's, uh, regroup here, boys, <laughs> and, uh, get this thing going. Yeah. So, uh, hey, uh, it was a part of history, you know, and I, I think about that and I'm very, uh, I guess I guess you'd say I've been very humbled by all this stuff because I am uh, a part of history now, and uh, it, it's been great. I've I, I got to tell you, I've enjoyed it. It was early mornings and late nights, but uh, hey, it kind of reminded me of working midnight shift back when I was on the road. <laughs> sure, yeah, uh, all throughout the weekend, uh, and there was a point in there. Did you ever think? But there were cer- certainly political pundits were saying. I don't think we're going to get McCarthy over the finish line. The Republicans need to go to Plan B. Did you ever feel like that was the case, or do you think did you think they'd get it worked out? No, I knew almost from day one, day two, that they were going to get this worked out. Uh, but you know, I tell you what, the American people are tired of business as usual, and that's what I was hearing behind the scenes from some of these men and women that were, you know, really wanting to get in there. Make a difference. You know, uh, Congress hasn't got a great reputation right now for getting anything done. And that's what the, the main charge was. These folks wanted to get something done for the people, and not only in their districts, but across America. And they were, they were sincere and passionate, uh, about all of it. As we saw there on the video there, we, uh, uh, almost saw, a, uh, the old, uh, close to a you know, <laughs> a wrestling match there, as we say at, at home. Wrestling. <laughs> And, uh, but, but I tell you, it was, uh, you know, behind the scenes, Kevin had over 200 votes every time. And so, uh, you know, these folks that were, uh, holding and wanting to make sure that, uh, everybody worked together and worked hard. Uh, so I, I, I felt confident from the beginning that, that Kevin was going to make it. But, uh, there was some, there was some, uh, wrestling went on there behind closed doors. A lot of drama, no doubt about it. So uh, you got you got him seated, you guys got sworn in and, and went uh, straight to work, adopted a, a rules package. Uh, I'll share that 
just based on some of the members of Congress of the House that I saw over the weekend on the Sunday shows, I, I question whether or not the rules package had the necessary votes, but it turns out it did. Oh, yeah. Only only had one Republican a defector. Mm-hmm. Uh, no uh, Democrats, of course, voted for it. Are you pleased with the rules package at this point? Obviously, you voted for it. Yes, sir. Absolutely pleased with it. You know, and I'm proud to be a part of this. You know, so I, you know, and again, you know, I've always been one to show up and go to work, and uh, so yes, sir, I was very pleased with it, and I think things are really going to go fast and furious in the future. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of uh, folks that are depending on us to do what we said we were going to do, and I, I, you know, like I say, what what I have discovered, uh, you know, I've been a policeman my whole life, but what I have discovered behind the closed doors, there's some serious conversations going on. <laughs> some passionate beliefs in America, and we all got here on the same uh, wave of, you know, I am concerned about my country, and I want to do something. And and so it showed up in the debates. It showed up in the uh, debates behind closed doors. Uh, But at the end of the day, we got it done. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And then the other, uh, right after you got the rules package in, we get a bill on the floor which was consistent with a commitment yep. made by the speaker, I think yep. consistent with the desires of the holdouts, we got a bill to defund uh, a good bit of uh, the money that was going to the IRS, designated to bring on eighty-seven thousand new IRS agents. Uh, uh, yeah, it's crazy. So that passes the House, but it yep. it likely won't see the light of day in the Senate. Yeah, but I tell you this, you know, if we stick together and hold the line. And make sure that the Senate understands, you know, they got a, you know, it's, it's just a very slim majority over there in the Senate. Yeah. We can get senators to come on, get on board with us and work together with us. We can make these folks, uh, do what they're supposed to do because as you and I both know, we can't keep spending money we don't have. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. So it appears today that, uh, we're going to get a bill perhaps to be voted on, that would replace the income tax with the FAIR tax. The FAIR Tax Act, introduced by Representative Buddy Carter from Georgia, I believe. What do you think about that? Yeah, well, I, I you know, I, I, I agree with, you know, we have got to do something. These things are so complicated. I mean, it's not like where you can just fill out the form anymore. You know, you've got to have a uh, CPA, and you got to call the guard at Buckingham Palace, and you got to do everything else to try to, you know, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's, no doubt. You know? No doubt. So we, we need we something. Got, yes, sir. Well, uh, and again, that, I'm not sure if all Republicans will vote for that. I, I doubt any Democrats would because it, no. it's viewed as somewhat regressive in nature that it would increase the burden on the lower income levels and maybe decreased that on uh, the higher income levels. But it, I think it's good that we finally get that thing. It's been out there for years. We get it uh, at, on the table as a, a serious measure to debate. Yeah, I, I, that's exactly right. You know, we may not get it exactly like we want it, but let's, let's get some progress moving forward so that uh, we, we can do something for the people, because this tax thing is just, it is terrible. It's terrible. You know? I it agree. is absolutely terrible. So something else that uh, has occurred, which I think is, is something that uh, will be music to the ears 
of conservatives in this country, and that's the House uh, GOP. The Republicans have approved a resolution to create a panel, at least, to investigate the weaponization yep. of various agencies of, of the federal government. And mm -hmm. what what bothers a lot of people, Congressman, you, you coming from the law enforcement background, yep. is the FBI. We can't oh, have no. that. No, absolutely not. And, uh, you know, during my career as a police officer, I spent three years assigned to the FBI, and the men and women that work in that office are dedicated. They love this country. But, you know, as like so many other things that happen, you get uh, some of the folks at the top that, that like to be involved with, uh, you know, all the hierarchy in the government. And the first thing you know, they're starting down that slippery slope. And uh, the next thing you know, they can't get out of it. So, you know, what I have seen, uh, Jim Jordan is going to be yeah. issued as out of that committee. And, uh, you know, we're going to make hold some of these people accountable for what they've done. You know, we can't, you know, the American people have, have always looked up and respected the FBI and our law enforcement officers. And to see things that happen like that going all the way back to the 2016 election on Trump, uh, this just cannot happen again. We cannot let this happen. It feels like, uh, Congressman, uh, just from an outsider's perspective, that a lot of this move to politicize uh, these institutions is coming from the top. It's oh, not yes. the rank-and-file good people that serve in these right. organizations. It, it's coming from the top, and it's all politically and ideologically motivated. Absolutely. You know, and, you know, again, the people uh, that are on the receiving end of this, uh, I mean, who would have ever dreamed that uh, we would have, the FBI would have raided President Trump's home? Who would have ever dreamed that? Never. And, uh, you know, this is just something that is, cannot happen again. We've got to stop this, and we've got to hold these people at the top accountable. And, and I tell you, after working in that office for three years, I've, I, I've got a lot of information. I've worked hard all my life to, and that was the whole reason why I ran for sheriff back in 2014 is because of what had gone on at the sheriff's office. And here we are today in the Congress, and I'm going to do everything I can for the people. Well, that's awesome. And what, what I think folks hope, I'm among them, is that just by establishing this panel and starting this yep. investigation, maybe it'll get these folks to stand down and, and show them you can't overstep your boundaries here. Yep. And if we could just slow it down at a minimum, yep. because it's ridiculous, yep. we can't, it's, can't have a functioning country like that. Congressman, Absolutely. good to see you and talk to you, sir. Thanks so much for coming on, and I'm sure we'll be visiting some more. Good luck on the session. Thank you. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Congressman Mike Ezel, who represents Mississippi's 4th Congressional District, has been our guest here on Middays. We're stepping aside for a break, coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our show. On Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. When he heard his first Beatles song Love me do, I think it wasn't from there It didn't take him long Got himself a guitar Used to play every night Now he's in a rock and roll outfit And everything's alright Don't you know Welcome back everyone 
little bad company. Bumping us into this segment here on middays. No doubles, but could they shake hands after the match? Says absolutely Dan. not. <laughs> Perish that thought, Dan. What do you want to do? Spread the COVID? They're <laughs> so serious about it. No doubles. They they absolutely thrive on it, don't they? On the control. And so, have you seen, though, that apparently this whole idea of banning gas stoves is rooted in some Stanford study of 53 households? 53 households! Oh, yeah, we got to ban the gas stoves! Pay no attention to the poorest borders to our south. Crime ravaging the nation, crushing inflation. No, those aren't important things. We got to ban gas stoves now. You, <laughs> you can't make it up, as they say. In favor of electricity. Exactly. He's exactly right. Which is produced by burning fossil fuels. For the most part in this country, most electricity is generated by fossil fuels as a source, not renewables. Ain't there yet. It, is it box checking? Is it virtue signaling? Is it pandering? Is it all the above, perhaps? Well, if a politician has a D by her name, yeah, you can check all those boxes. Oh, gosh. Well, but in the meantime, of course, the president absconds with some documents discovered in his property. And the left-wing media is covering for it. Well, he did it inadvertently. He didn't really know. And there's really nothing in those documents. And then they, they try to categorize them like they're secret versus classified or something like that. They try to parse that out like that makes a difference. And Joey Behar on the on the view said the quiet part out loud. Really, I, mean, I, I think that no, what you just said is yeah, right. That, yeah. that there are differences in what happened. Yes, but you know, it's not good. Well, we all know that Trump is a liar and a thief. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we know that. So it's not that big a jump to say that he obstructed and he lied. We don't think that Biden is a liar and a thief, so we give him the benefit of the doubt. That's partly what's going on. Oh, sure. Right. Like the black, Baptist, Puerto Rican, Hispanic, Italian community he grew up in as a boy. Right. Or the fact that he was a truck driver, or that his family was killed by a drunk driver, or that he graduated top of his class, or that he was, I don't know, sent to the Navy Academy, Naval Academy, or hit a, off the wall in the congressional baseball game. No, he's not a liar at all. Oh, and for the thief part of it, didn't he have to drop out of a presidential run for plagiarizing, which is stealing? That may be the worst, honestly. The worst of all those infractions, I guess stretching the truth a little bit with the hitting the double off the wall, which was just stupid, honestly. But plagiarizing in order to get a better grade, maybe even pass. Because... 
You know, that wasn't the only time he did that. Folks no, that do just that. When he got caught. Yeah, do that regularly. And don't forget, just a couple of days ago, he confuses a member of the Salvation Army with the Secret Service. Now, that's not lying. That just, I think, illustrates incompetence more than anything. Confused. He starts talking to the member of the Salvation Army who's dressed up in the official Salvation Army uniform. And I guess, as we said yesterday, saw the big gold S badge, medal, on his uh, lapel there. It's actually on the collar where it's positioned with a red background. And it's, it's probably an inch and a half or so in diameter. Do you think he saw that and felt that big S stood for Secret Service? I mean, as much as the Secret Service follows him around, is in his orbit, in his grill, he can't figure that out. That's, that's sad. Well, he can't figure out which door to go in after he gets off Marine One at the White House. That's true. It, it's sad. And, and look, I, I don't really take any particular satisfaction out of uh, just demeaning the man, because it's not about him personally. It's about, but this is who's running the place. That's bothersome. That's a cause for concern. It's risky. Risky to the world, honestly. When you got a guy that's that just mentally deficient, in that respect. And they just cover for him. And that's even more despicable. You and I were talking off the uh, during the break about a little dust-up between our favorite MSNBC anchor, the race lady over there, <laughs> the Joy Reid, of course. And she got into a little dust-up with Representative Byron Donalds, who's been kind of rising to the level of being perhaps my, one of my favorite members of Congress. Though we had some fool on the text line last week that said, I never knew who he was until last week. Well, that fool's a naysayer, no matter what you say. You could say, the sky's blue, and he's going, no, no, it's green, it's teal. How dare you lie and say it's blue? <laughs> so... I actually have the audio of the race lady and Rip Donalds. Oh, let's play it. My friend Jody Arrington, who's going to chair budget, he wants to look into the budget and also look into entitlements. Do you know that Social Security is going to be insolvent in 2035? It is not going to be. That yes, is not true. That, that is, is actually, actually not true. The no, it's saying. actually not now, true. Joy, it's actually not true. Professional. It's actually not. It, but it's actually not true. The financial community. That's actually not true. That's actually not true. Will go insolvent. That's actually not true. Those are the facts. That's not. Should we not prepare for that? What the Republican Party and what the Tea Party have proposed is privatizing Social Security, which would actually subject Social Security to the whims of the market, which I don't think that people... If you actually that's not what they the whims of the, the market... Look at the returns not, of the S&P 500 since 2006. The returns of the S&P 500 since 2006. You're saying... So you, you, okay, Hold so on. you support privatizing I, I, Social Security. No, I want to explain to you. 
I am a financial professional. I'm securities license. Actually, I just lost my licenses because I'm not allowed to trade anymore because I'm a member of Congress. Mm -hmm. But let me assure you, if you look at the S&P 500 from 2006 until today, the growth rate in the S&P 500 would have more than taken care of Social Security, way more than the federal government And has. each time that Wait, you had a crash, it would subject people's no, Social Security true. funds I'm, to crash. Hold on a second. So let me just, in, hold on a second. We're not going to have a whole long thing on Social Security. But let me just be clear. You and you are in favor of privatizing Social Security. No, I'm not in favor of privatizing it. But you just argued for it. I said you brought it up and I brought you the facts on S&P 500. So if a bill came forward to privatize Social Security, you'd be for it? No, because what we should be doing. Then it's a moot point. Then it's a moot point. It's not a moot point. You're trying to put words in my mouth. But you just explained that the S&P would be a better return than Social Security. given better returns than the federal government That is a fact. Don't cheapen privatization when the data is crystal clear that the returns would have been better. Okay, you're for it. You've said that you're for it. That means that it would have been a better situation than what we've seen to this point. Let's go into some of the other things. That's so good. I love that. The race lady. It's a perfect picture of the left and the right. The left believes they have all the answers. The left believes they're the smartest person in the room, and the left refuses to face reality. And when reality smacks them in the face, they double down. That's not true. <laughs> the old race lady going at it. This guy was a wealth manager for a living. You think he could read the Social Security Trust Report? So, I did. I, I picked up on that last night. Obviously, it got your interest as well, because you said something to me about it. Because it was it's, hilarious. It's, it is. And can we not now label the race lady as a racist? Because was she being somewhat harsh to a black man? Right? Oh, yeah. A dose of your own dang medicine there, toots. Well, let me just tell you, folks, I read the report released, by the way, this past June. And here's what it says. The Social Security Board of Trustees says that the money in the old age and survivors insurance and disability insurance, that stands for O-A-S-I and D-I, that is what is commonly known as Social Security, that the trust funds will be depleted in 2035. That's what it says. But the race lady is disputing that with Congressman Donald. This she's is an straight, idiot. This is straight from the Board of Trustees report. Oh, gosh. We're coming right back. Garth Brooks bumping us out. Stay with us. We're on Middays in the Element Well Studios. Properly set all controls before recording. All systems go. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Don't forget at 11.05, Senator Joel Carter joins us. 
So, looking at this little explanation here, just curious, the difference between Kelvin and lumens. So it's the Kelvin scale, apparently. Those are units that measure the color temperature of a light source, the color of white light it emits. Lumens measures the total light output. Hmm. These two measures are completely independent and do not correlate. That from a site known as Lighting Info is what it's called. So there apparently are lumen scales and Kelvin scales. Well, it gets a little weird because you're talking about photons that don't have mass. So <laughs> yeah, and it I does guess get a little wonky. To to me, the difference is maybe I should say it's the color of the light, the shade of the light. Just it's different what's emitted from an LED versus an incandescent. Now, no question, LEDs last a lot longer consume less power, and burn cooler in that. I mean, you could touch an LED light. Oh, yeah. It's, it doesn't warm up. It doesn't have the same filament structure and so forth. At least it's not supposed heat. to. Yeah, right. If you touch an LED bulb and it's hot, you might want to take that one out. That's right. It's probably on the fritz. But the, uh, so that's the difference between the lumen and the Kelvin. Somebody uh, smart, you know, we got lots of smart listeners. Somebody said something on the ceasefire text line about it. The Kelvin rating, yeah. Measured in a temp, 5,000 is warmer or yellower than 6,000, which is blue. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah, that's well, what I was talking about with the scale from candlelight to blue sky. Yeah, and that's the Kelvin Yeah, uh, scale. Whereas the lumens... So I guess I, th- I thought about lumens because the, the packaging on bulbs will show the lumens output. And I always think about that in terms of just the brightness and the amount of light. And, of course, the higher the wattage, the higher the lumens. LEDs can produce similar amount of lumens to an incandescent bulb by drawing less power, though. Correct. That's the whole idea behind them, essentially. Moe says, Gerard, no more notice to airmen. What, pray tell, do they call the airmen in the Air Force? Air people? I don't know, Moe's. See, <laughs> this is another situation where we're, we're just tied up like a pretzel over words and names. Speaking of which, the governor of Arkansas recently seated, sworn in, Sarah Sanders, the daughter of former governor Mike Huckabee, former candidate for president. <laughs> she just... She just uh, enacted an order, issued an order that bans use of the word Latinx. She says, and I think she's right, based on feedback we've seen from the Latino community, it is considered a, a word that is offensive to them. It's, it, it's a non-relevant word. It's, it doesn't exist. It's made up, honestly, by the left. Virtue signaling crap. Cannot use the word Latinx in official government documents, communications, business. <laughs> she said it's culturally insensitive. There you go. Yeah, it ignores the gendered nature of their natural native language. Right. Because that's a good point. Like we have pronouns, 
which are traditionally have been associated with gender. In those languages, French, Italian, the yeah, the Romance yeah, languages. Yeah, the Romance languages, they all have that feature, right? Yeah, they all have gendered everything, pretty much. I mean, there are exceptions to every rule, but just the the term for the people themselves. You have Latino yeah. and Latina. Latino is masculine. Latina is feminine. Do they have an equivalent for they? <laughs> they, them? I never got that far into Spanish. <laughs> because that's what we do here, right? Just curious out there, folks, if you get an email from someone and it's got their name followed by, in parentheses, their preferred pronoun, what do you think about that? There's some companies, I think, that require it. It has to be included in your email address, the bigger companies, that are all woke. Oh, gosh. So yesterday, you're aware, we discussed the bill that passed the House that uh, would defund certainly the majority of the $80 billion, some $71 billion of it, to fund 87,000 new additional, additional I should say, not new, additional IRS agents to shake down American taxpayers. Nancy Pelosi it is shameful, but not surprising, that the House GOP's first order of business in this Congress is to protect corporate America and ultra-wealthy... Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply, to think deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert, here on Super Talk Mississippi. Middays live from the Element Well Studios on this hump day. Joining us now, Senator Joel Carter. He represents District 49. That includes, of course, Harrison County on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Serves as the chair of the Senate Energy Committee. Good to see you again, there, Senator. Good to always see you, Gerard. And uh, always enjoy the uh, the coast-sponsored event at the Trademark we had last week. Yeah, that was great a, food, great event, yeah. great attendance. A great attendance, and we got to see a lot of friends from the Gulf Coast, and um, it's an event that everyone looks forward to every year. And this is the first time we've had it since COVID. Yeah, so, exactly. A new facility. I mean, it was it was it great was, place to have it. Oh yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of good people. Appreciate you guys getting together and doing that for us. So you've been in session now just a little over a week, and general bills are due. Today or tomorrow? Well, today is the filing, the request, filing, the requ- yeah. request deadline. Okay. So the filing deadline will be Monday. Okay. Uh, anything in particular we should know about coming out of your committee? Out of my committee, well, we might have a have a little interesting uh, legislation as far as this water crisis going on here in Jackson. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Anything you can tell us about further, or well, we're still working on it. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of people involved, and obviously we have to work with our counterparts in the house as well. Yeah, um, I'm going to drop a basically a vehicle, and um, 
yeah, with the with the House and with the different people that will be uh, affected by the legislation. Uh, there's bipartisan support on it. So. Okay. There is bipartisan support. There is bi- yep, there is. You think you'll get that in the House, too? Uh, we'll see. Okay. All right. Other than that, uh, any other high-profile items that you're hearing about under the dome that uh, you folks will be taking up? Not that I'm aware of. I think everybody really wants this to be pretty calm this session. I mean, we are, or the qualifying deadline's on the 31st. Right. Uh, we'd like to not fight amongst each other, <laughs> hold hands, sing kumbaya. You know. That would be a perfect world. So. so the speaker was in the in the house here last week, and he says that elimination of the income tax is still his top priority, and he intends to. Uh, get a bill done there in the House, believes it'll pass the House, will be sent over to the Senate. Any thoughts about that and the, and the possibility of that passing? I, mean, I think everybody wants the income tax eliminated. The problem is, is that we don't know how long this – this we don't know when the outfall is going to be from this budget surplus that we have. Right. So that's where the hesitancy has been in the Senate. And the lieutenant governor wants to do a tax rebate, um, so he's he's proposed that. So these are all discussions that are ongoing right now. Uh, I don't. No one has committed to anything. We're okay. still so early on. Well, best I can tell, having interviewed both the speaker and the lieutenant governor, uh, that particular issue certainly is high, high priority to the speaker. I'd say lesser so to to the lieutenant governor. But as you just indicated, they they got different approaches of uh, providing some tax relief. Right. The speaker wants permanent elimination, a plan to do that, phase it in. And the lieutenant governor uh, seems to be more in favor of just a one-time rebate at this well, point. If you look at states that have eliminated the income tax, it's been great for their business development and yeah. economic development. So I don't think the lieutenant governor is completely opposed to it. I think he's just more reserved, just given the status that we had all this federal money given to us over the last couple of years since covid and we've got, like I said, that surplus, and we don't know what the future holds, especially with the wasteful spending you're seeing in D.C. right now. Yeah, no doubt about it. So the Democrats uh, in the legislature have finalized a plan to address the, the hospital uh, financial situation in the state of Mississippi and have already cranked up the rhetoric they're uh, being critical of Republicans for not taking any action here. What, what do you think is going to happen there? Will we see any legislation see the light of day? Right now there are bills out there. Um, I, I, I have not personally been involved with that, but I, I have spoken with the appropriations chair and and overheard some different conversations. I don't know what the appetite exactly is in the Senate as far as that goes. I know the lieutenant governor is very aware there's a situation there, and um, obviously we need to come up with a solution. Yeah, and and the I guess the two main provisions of the proposal from the Democrats, uh, one of those is just to, here's 150 million dollars to stabilize, but that's a short term right. fix that's not going to cure what is a long term structural problem. And then the other, of course, is to expand Medicaid. And that's not going to happen. I mean, the Republicans are are adamantly against that. That's not a long term solution either. We don't that, that money's not going to be there forever. Yeah. And you go back to wasteful spending. I mean, look at that omnibus bill that the Senate that the, yeah. the Congress has passed. I mean it's it's sickening. 
Yeah, I to- totally agree with that. But it, it was just shocking to me that here's $150 million. That's really not solving the problem. No, you're just putting a Band-Aid on it. Yeah. I, I was, so I'm not sure where uh, what their basis is for being critical of Republicans for opposing what's just really a one-time, short-term, sugar-high fix, so to speak. Doesn't yeah. really make any sense. No. Doesn't, doesn't uh, address that. The, the citizen ballot initiative process, something else that's come up, I sort of felt like that was unfinished business from the last session. The Senate and the House couldn't agree on mainly the signature threshold, the signature requirements. The House wanted to keep it the same as is currently provided for in our Constitution, 12 percent of total ballots cast last gubernatorial election. Senate wanted a higher uh, approach there, 12 percent of total voters, registered voters, as I recall. Well, there's also this issue. We don't want associations being able to go out and buy out that process. Okay. I mean, we want a true true initiative process that uh, the Mississippians control, and it's not controlled by special interest groups. And that's the lieutenant governor's position on that as well. Do you think that there's a compromise that could be reached here so that we can get a ballot measure process back in place? Man, I I, I hope so. Uh, We're definitely – we're talking about it. Um, It just depends – you know how the legislature works. Oh, yeah. they, they're, the House picks their issues, Senate picks their issues, and then it comes to if, if they can agree or not. That, that ultimately, it depends on that if, that if something's going to get passed or not. Sounds like this is something you think we need to restore. Oh yes, we need. We need. I think I think it's I think it's a, a good process if it's designed correctly. Yeah, and it reflects the, what true Mississippians feel and uh, absolutely. You hear that from constituents? Are I they, do. Yeah, because it really came into focus right with Initiative 65 when the Supreme Court struck down that uh, that ballot measure said, yeah, we really don't uh, conform here. <laughs> the way that process unfolded did not conform with the Constitution, which doesn't align with our congressional districts. Yeah. It's really silly how it went on that long that we didn't fix that. And then you have elected officials that feel like that's what they're elected to do is is to change yeah, the laws. laws. Yeah, so yeah. Um, you've got that debate going on. But me personally, I mean, if, if they if constituents don't feel like they're being represented properly, then there's always voting out your elected yeah. officials. But I mean, I think a referendum process that's set up fair and it's like I said, it's not controlled by special interest. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. All right. Anything else that's on your mind with respect to uh, legislative measures you think uh, may get deliberated? Um, not not on my mind right now. I mean, I do have a piece of legislation that that I've I've introduced, and it was kind of coincidental that the Senate uh, U.S. Senate came out two days later, and it's the TikTok ban. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about that. So. And we all know you're you're seeing it on national news. I mean, that China is basically using the app to steal all your information off of your off of the device that you're using it on. Um, they're controlling content too. So let's say, I mean, and look, I'm one of the I'm guilty of watching that stuff. I, I could sit on it for hours and watch it, and because uh, it's funny, it's entertaining, but. What people don't understand is, is what we see here in the states versus what they see on TikTok in China are totally it's totally different content. That's right. Yeah. So in China, they're promoting engineers and and doctors and yeah. it's serious. 
here they're trying to it's, it's like a big smoke screen it's entertainment right much as anything and they're also like i said they're stealing all the information off your phone i mean several states have already banned it yeah i think we're up to 12 now yeah and the federal government right all no federal devices can have tiktok installed on it that's right and we're not just talking about tiktok at this point uh, the um like ITS, they're they're wanting to look at all types of different apps. Mm, interesting. That would be the uh, Information Technology Services Division of the state government there that sets all the standards uh, for information technology for the state. Senator, always good to see you, sir. Appreciate you coming on. I'm sure we'll be talking some more as we get underway here uh, with the session, start seeing some bills dropped and hit the floor. Good yep. to see you. Good to see you, too. Appreciate it. Senator Joel Carter represents District 49, Harrison County. Coming right back here in the Element Well Studios. Stay with us. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Curtis and Biloxi says, I pardon me, most newer LEDs have fixed lumens and color selectable Kelvin. I think I have seen those in the store. Scott Gulfport, back to the natural gas appliance ban attempt. Didn't the Supreme Court make a ruling last summer against federal agencies making regulations? Well, it wasn't a ruling that just completely prohibits agencies from promulgating regulations, what it said was, in essence, that when agencies do that, it's, it, the, the regs that they release have to be somewhat authorized by and consistent with law. They can't just make things up. Now, in terms of uh, banning gas-powered stoves, honestly, I'm not sure. I, it certainly could be. But so you get to a situation where you have an executive order coming out of the White House, and that gets acted on by the agency, the appropriate agency in this case, to ban it. I'm not sure which agency that is exactly that would actually produce the regulation. I would imagine it would be the EPA. Probably, because the idea is that it's emitting methane gas and other particles or something to that effect, increasing the risk of childhood asthma. That was the, that was the main adverse effect they cited. Uh, they being the study from Stanford of 53 <laughs> households and they, it's crazy that that drives something so massive. That doesn't seem to be sufficient to me. That doesn't seem to be a statistically valid sample. <laughs> uh, so 
It's a good point, though, Scott. I don't know whether or not such a regulation would, in fact, be in conflict with the Supreme Court's finding, and that involved the EPA as well, right? It was the EPA in West Virginia, I think it it originated, if I'm not mistaken, in West Virginia. And it may have been the state of West Virginia that sued the EPA, got all the way to the Supreme Court, and it had to do, as I recall, with the EPA issuing some regulations was it pertaining to natural gas or coal, perhaps? both of which are heavily produced in the state of West Virginia, goes to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court found that you over you overreached here. You overstepped your authority, that those regulations were not rooted in, did not stem directly from law, statute. Made sense to me. And, and gosh, we've talked about it numerous times on the program. It's the agency complex that runs the dang country. Because you can't get any laws passed. Yeah, Congress is dysfunctional at best. At best. You get a few, but most of what affects us comes from these regulations, the regulatory framework managed by, administered by, the giant swath of agencies, the alphabet soup of agencies. It, you can't help but think about Barack Obama's famous quip, I have a pen and a phone. And that was in response to the shellacking, his word, taken by the Democrats in the midterms in 2010, the advent of the Tea Party. And at that point, it neutered the rest of his agenda. He'd been in office two years. He was there for two terms, a total of eight, shoved a bunch of stuff out, that he could get through legislatively because had a um, control of the House by a wide margin back then, and the Senate, and of course the White House. And then once that, once the House flipped, it put a halt to his agenda. And he had big plans. And that's when he came up with the, I have a pound on a phone, basically saying, I'm going to utilize my power as the president to issue executive orders to the agencies, the cabinet secretaries, the agency heads, to achieve as much as I can of my agenda. The same thing, the student loan deal. Nothing could be bigger in scope, at least, than that. And of course, that's been discussed extensively. Does the president have the power just to, with a signature to cancel a trillion dollars of debt, student loan debt? That's That likely would get challenged if he did that. Now, he ain't giving up on that, folks. I'm not sure if you've seen this, but he got a whole new plan to forgive student loans. And this new proposal would essentially cut payments from 5%, or pardon me, from 10% of a borrower's discretionary income to 5%. It would half it. And in accordance with law, present law, after 10 years, the remainder is canceled. 
As long as you make good faith payments. It, but right. So you pay for 10 years, even if you haven't retired the debt at the end of that 10-year term, whatever remains in the principal balance of that original student loan debt is canceled. It's forgiven. So what he's doing here is he's saying, well, that we're still going to keep that in place, but you're going to pay half. Half. Which means that the amount remaining, half is in 5% of your income versus 10%. So your payments are cut in half, meaning you pay half as much in over that 10-year period of time. And at the end of that 10 years, whatever remains, which is going to be considerably greater than it would have been with the 10% approach, Geez, some borrowers may save as much as $2,000 from the change, according to a fact sheet produced by the Department of Education. So it's just another situation where, in, in, in kind of a masqueraded fashion, the president's using the power of his executive order pen. And so the same deal here, Scott. It, it does seem to me kind of unreal as well that just one person in the country can say no more gas stoves. That seems to kind of thumb its nose at the concept of democracy, where your representatives in a Republican form of government vote on your behalf to make such sweeping changes. So, yeah, it's certainly subject to, of course, getting... Uh, legal action and that making its way all the way up to the Supreme Court. No TAM has been changed by the FAA. Yeah, we talked about that. That's on ceasefire text line. You may have missed it. We, Yeah, we're aware. We're shocked to find out that the No TAM, the acronym that used to stand for Notice to Airmen, now is Notice to Air Missions. That changed in 2021 because we might offend someone that doesn't believe they're a man. So crazy. Shouldn't we be focused on, like, what the purpose of this, those things are, those notices? Like, maybe could save your life and the life of your passengers. We're all wrapped up in the words themselves which seems to be the way we run the whole country these days. Well, it's the logical end to the political correctness slippery slope that began under, was it Clinton? Yeah. Where feelings were more important than being factual. Boy, has that ever gotten a lot of traction since then. That's become... It went from it being... It was asinine then. It, it's just gotten worse. It's created an entire generation of worthless nobodies so that true. are perpetually aggrieved. So true. Victimhood. It's like an occupation now. It's a social currency. <laughs> no doubt about it. What would be this from Neil from Pontotoc? What would be the difference between a gas stove and a gas heater? Are we going to ban all gas heaters? It turns out. That is what they discussed. It's part of this proposal to ban gas stoves. Gas heaters are next. Remember, they want to outlaw all fossil fuels already in the state of California. No new construction can have include in it connections for gas service. New York City's already done that. Other major cities in the blue states 
in the country, they're about to follow suit on that. Doesn't seem like it'd be a good time to be in the gas business with the government trying to shut it down. And all it does is hurt everybody, honestly. Solves no problems. Coming back on Middays in the Element Well Studios. Everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Yeah, so the old incandescent bulb ban set to uh, take effect this year, 2023, August 1. I thought that's why there was some news about it. I'm going to go stock up on some more. August 1, 2023. Remember, Obama was going to make us buy LED bulbs. He did, William. That's the whole point. This thing goes into effect. I don't want to say it got pushed out from the original date where incandescent bulbs would be banned. And I think it's the manufacturer of them that gets banned. Unless they're going to send out I don't know, 87,000 light bulb agents to your house and pull those light bulbs out of your lamps. Don't put it past them. August 1st, 2023, the old light bulb ban. You know, Rhino, on this program, <laughs> we have said that the public health emergency is likely to never end, to carry on in perpetuity. Well, here we go. They're extending it again. Number 11. Number 11. We need a tote board in here to track it. It was announced this morning via a declaration titled Renewal of Determination that a Public Health Emergency Exists. And of course they want this because it does provide some extraordinary powers to the President, to the government, by doing so. But I thought Biden said the pandemic is over. But yet we're extending the public health emergency, and, however, he wants to end Title 42. You, you see the compounding of all the conflicts? Well, yeah, I want the public health emergency because that gives me more power. 
But I don't want that Title 42, which was the Trump immigration policy implemented because of COVID. So which is it there? That means Title 42 should survive and remain in place. You can't ask that it gets rescinded because we no longer have a COVID emergency and then extend the public health emergency. How more blatant a conflict can there be? And of course, they're quite exuberant about it because they just keep that power, baby. That's what they want. Uh, Sam from out Herman says, Gerard, so I guess sooner or later it's going to come down to either eating first or changing, charging your car at home. <laughs> it could come down to that. The whole thing is just perplexing. It's gotten so convoluted, you can't keep up with it. But banning natural gas powered stoves? Isn't there a lot of cooking that just can't be done with electric or maybe is not suited for it? I, would, I think you'd have people argue either way, but I mean, there's a reason there's the colloquialism or the phrase, now we're cooking with gas. Yeah. I mean, isn't it that... is a faster way to cook on the stove and get something up to heat. Don't chefs say that it's easier to regulate the the heat with gas, electric, the elements, once they get totally heated up, they just don't cool off as fast, right. whereas gas-powered... Yeah, you can cut the, the gas flame off, and it will cool at the, the rate at which the dish cools itself. Okay. Whereas you have to take it off the eye, because the eye is going to stay hot until the metal of the eye cools off. Well, I'm, I've said before, I'm not a cook, but it seems like that would be pretty important to achieving the, dishes, the yeah. outcome of the dish, whatever it is you're cooking. More control in that respect. So i got to go back to old Nancy Pelosi. And uh, <laughs> because of her reaction, unfortunately, I didn't watch the clock very well during that segment and got cut off. My apologies for that. It is shameful says Nancy Pelosi, but not surprising that the House GOP's first order of business in this Congress is to protect corporate America and ultra-wealthy individuals who are illegally avoiding taxes. There is perhaps nothing, and folks that listen to the program regularly know this about me now, there's perhaps nothing that aggravates me more than when a sitting member of Congress, either side, either house, attacks the private sector, private individuals, on some false pretense, speculation that they're breaking the law and calling them out for it when they have zero evidence, zero proof, and where the legal system in this country has not worked 
to prove whatever the wrongdoing is that a member of Congress speculates. In this case, Nancy Pelosi, she's just quite sure. She got no evidence. She couldn't give you the names of any companies or people. But in her view, the reason that we are short on revenue, which is, again, the way they see the solution to every problem, is more taxes, more revenue, more programs. And she's going after targeting corporate America and ultra-wealthy individuals. Well, I got news for you there, toots. That's your cronies. They support you, your party. Why do you think the Republican Party has become, in fact, the, the preferred party for so many just average, working-class, middle-class, principled Americans. Because your party's been hijacked by the elite, by the ultra-wealthy. You have a hard time finding any amongst the list of 500 billionaires in this country that aren't left-leaning, that don't contribute considerably more to Democrat candidates. It's same for corporations, all of which have rushed to form up all these DEI groups and stick your pronouns in your emails and having all this, this uh, CRT-based training and modules, workshops, created a whole dang industry out of it. Well, you got to have something to do for the worthless nobody generation that came from political correctness. They have no actual life skills other than being perpetually aggrieved. So you gotta <laughs> got to capitalize on that. What do you do for a living? I'm a victim. <laughs> Pretty much. That's where we are. So she immediately, thinking it is for political expediency, takes to Twitter to make this statement, and you know that the folks on the left that put people like her in power, they're applauding this. Yeah, that's exactly right. Those Republicans, they don't, they don't want to fund the IRS agents because they're going to go after their ultra-wealthy friends. They don't have any anymore. The vast majority of them are cronied up with the left in this country. Heck, we learned that with the FTX Friedman nut. $40 million to Democrats and really just hedged a little bit, bought a little insurance by giving a little pocket of money to Republicans. That's all that was. That was just insurance. Well, just in case. But the lion's share of his political contributions overwhelmingly went to Democrats. Just Why else would that. Maxine Waters blow him a kiss after his congressional hearing? So true. Of course, now we know that was a, a house of cards, and, uh, and honestly, he really didn't have that wealth, but he still stuck it in their pockets. They ought to give every damn dime of it back. And that's for the Republicans as well. I'm not excluding them and that, those who received money from him. Rush bumping us out of this segment here on Midday. The final one in Hour 2 coming up next. We're in the Element Well Studios. Got to talk about the fair tax. Stay with us. 
awesome. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi. We are back, being bumped into this segment by the smooth voice of Marvin Gaye. <laughs> Which, if you've never heard his vocals isolated, that is definitely a rabbit hole worth going down on YouTube. Just type in Marvin Gaye isolated, and you can find all kind of different songs where they've gone in and the audio engineer has removed the mix behind him. And it's just, it's like if you were listening to him singing a cappella. He is amazing. Yeah. Unbelievable range, quality, no doubt. Paula Meridian says, I guess they don't realize they're going to hack off a lot of Democrat voters. Democrats in the city areas have a lot of natural gas available to them. Quite the contrary, Paul. They support it. Don't think like you and me. Think like them. They support it. We're doing our part for the climate. Seriously, they support it. This won't cause any of those reps to lose their seats. You ban natural gas. Just won't. It's, I think, just another illustration of the stark contrast in this country between the left and the right. We're just, we're divided on so many issues. And this is one. Here's my idea to cut back on pollution, says Sam in Lysilia, Mississippi. No more gas bags. Congress adjourned. <laughs> Rob from Tupelo says they will end up using natural gas to run the power plants. The power industry, the energy industry, however, Rob, is, is working rather diligently to shift away, transition out of use of fossil fuels as their primary source of power to the plants, the electric-generating plants. I mean, they just are. Because the government's telling them, you got to. It's government overreach, government myopia at play here, no doubt. Artie in West Point says the new House has included in their term limits bill an addendum that would include term limits on the heads of the bureaucratic regulatory agencies. Interesting. I'm not sure why that's necessary, because those individuals serve at the pleasure of the administration in place. I don't know that that really makes any sense. I don't know that there's if, – if we just simply adhered to the structure of, of law and not allow these agencies to promulgate these and implement these regulations that are not really grounded in law, which is what the suit, the EPA West Virginia suit, that was what it found – 
to be the case that the EPA had overstepped. You would think that that decision on that case would influence. But I guess that the, the uh, rationale for them, those making these rules, is, well, okay, come sue me. Stand up a lawsuit, spend a bunch of time and money, may not win. That's the fundamental problem with that. So our check and balance is to pursue a remedy through the courts. A brilliant system, but it does cost money. Take time. What you hope is that you don't have people that use that reality in a way that's abusive. Because that's what's happening in many cases. Oh, you mean like Biden and the student loan deal? Same deal. That's perhaps the most egregious example because of how much money's involved there. Yeah, I can just, as the president, say, you don't owe this $1.2 trillion. And then he comes out and admits, well, we don't know if it'll hold up in the courts, but we're going to try it anyway. He absolutely did say that. You're right. Artie in West Point's the one who told us about that, said, by the way, I'm not for term limits on elected officials. It will never pass the Senate. And I think all that's true. And so while the agenda does certainly look enticing to a lot of folks, I being one of them, I don't know that I completely align. I'm talking about the, the Republicans in the House that, that held out on concessions from Kevin McCarthy before they they voted in such a way, either present or for McCarthy, that he would win the speakership. It's just, I think it's really, it's dreaming. It's being ridiculously optimistic and unrealistic to think that any of these bills are going to even see the light of day in the U.S. Senate, which is where we need it more than any place desperately need control of that Senate for so many reasons. And we'll talk after the break here about a very large number of Senate seats up for election being contested in the 2024 cycle and how many of those are Democrats and the rumor about how many are looking at retirement. Super Talk News, Fox News next. We're in the Element Well Studios coming right back. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday's Hour 3 of the program from the Element Wealth Studios on this hump day. Jeremy in Caledonia says, I haven't listened this morning, but you may have talked about it. I saw Shad White announced he was running for re-election. That would be for the state auditor's seat. Glad to hear that. He's done a great job. My question was, did I hear correctly that Brett Favre was going to be his campaign manager? <laughs> Is there a rumor going on to that effect? I think there was a joke going around Facebook, but no, that's, yeah. that's all it is, is a joke. Yeah, he's definitely running. He has filed, has qualified, but no, the former NFL quarterback 
who is now embroiled in the welfare scandal, is not going to be running his campaign. Doesn't have any experience or credentials to do so. Speaking of the NFL, though, we did get some a great news involving Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin. Saw that. He has been discharged from the hospital and will continue his rehab at home. And yeah. with the help of the Bills training staff. Yeah. So I mean, that last, like two hours or so ago, oh, like yeah. official communication, I believe, uh, beginning uh, with the Bills. Correct. I think we're the first to communicate, which is the way it probably should be, honestly, if it weren't him himself. You know? Right. And And thanks for reminding me of that. Yesterday I talked about a friend that was undergoing... Uh, very complicated surgery here locally, and all went very well. I'm happy to report and receive Good. receive an update uh, from his wife yesterday afternoon. He got through the surgery with um, uh, no issues, no complications. Is now resting, and his prognosis is excellent. That in fact the procedure should uh, correct the problem that uh, that caused him to have to go to the hospital to start with. So we are super pleased to hear that news and praying for my friend. And I know he'll be back texting me soon uh, about the program. <laughs> Always enjoy his insight, honestly, and his commentary that he sends me while we're here bloviating <laughs> three hours a day. By the way, J- Jeremy goes on to say, who, who was asking about Brett Favre running Auditor Shad White's campaign, says, thank you all for the show. Always informative and always relevant topics. Only improvement I could see is if Rhino played a little more Allman Brothers Band. Thanks, guys. Well, we'll work on Rhino for that. I'm cool with the Allman Brothers. I think the uh, selection... Of music is uh, what makes the show fun, honestly. We have fun with that. Rado does a great job, and we appreciate that. Ray in Long Beach says, I'd be willing to bet that the stoves in the kitchens at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue are all natural gas, that in caps, and they won't be going anywhere. That's an interesting thought that I haven't really... That's another joke that's been making the rounds on social media. There's... uh... I don't know that you would really call it a meme, because it's not in a quote-unquote meme format, but there's been a a collection of several pictures of lawmakers or the First Lady or whoever from the Beltway using gas stoves in publicity photos or campaign pictures from their home, and the caption was simply, rules for thee, but not for me. (laughs) Of course. That's the way we roll. I mean, that's, that's become... So common, certainly, with the COVID era. But I did want to share with you a couple of things I want to get to today is the fair tax. And also the Senate races coming up in 2024. Hard to believe, right around the O corner. So there are six Democratic senators who may retire ahead of what is expected to be a bruising 2024 re-election campaign. 
six senators. Now, Democrats will be defending 23 of the 34, which will be contested. Was it 22, perhaps, in total seats, Senate seats, on the line in the last cycle, in uh, most recent here, in November 22? But it's 34. It's two-thirds of the chamber there. Yeah, it's usually right around 30, 32, 34, somewhere around there. 34. Depending on what happens with resignations, retirements, deaths, and the like. 34 seats up for grabs. 23 being defended by Democrats. Six have either announced retirement and that they will not seek re-election, or they're hinting at it. They would be Senator Debbie Stabenow. She's from Michigan. Joe Manchin is among those listed as the possible six who would retire. Diane Feinstein of California, she's what, 130, 140? I think she's the oldest member of Congress, perhaps. John Tester of Montana, which is a head-scratcher, who, who has just drifted further to the left. He's a kind of an old-style Democrat, not flaming liberal, but he, he is pretty much caucused with the Democrats and not been a dissenter, certainly not in the way that in some areas, Joe Manchin has been. So Joe Manchin, Diane Feinstein, John Tester, Debbie Stabenow, Senator Tim Kaine of Virginia, you know him from being Hillary's running mate, right? And then Senator Tammy Baldwin from the Derry State of Wisconsin. So it looks like, so the good news there is, I think, maybe with the exception of California, those are all in states that could flip. If you look back to 2016, with the exception of California, Trump carried West Virginia, Wisconsin, Michigan. So... That could bode well for the Republicans. I I do think that there's a, a Montana, of course, another state, Trump, Kerry. I think it bodes well for the GOP. Oh, one other that's being mentioned, Pennsylvania's Democrat Senator Bob Casey. Please tell me we're not going to get another wacko like that guy we just sent in that race. Honestly... We had two wackos in the race. I would have preferred the Republican. This guy that uh, won, what's his name, Fetterman, in Pennsylvania, may be the worst ever to serve in the U.S. Senate. But, wow, that's going to be a great deal of drama when you think about And money? Oh, my gosh, because those are all states that could go either way. We saw what happened in Georgia 
in Pennsylvania, 200 million bucks spent on Senate races in those respective states, each, by the way. Wow. Thomas and Greenwood says, will Trump back candidates and snatch defeat from the jaws of victory for Republicans again? I don't think he will, Thomas, because, except, except, if he does not receive the nomination for president. If he, if he does, I think he's focuses on his campaign, much what we saw in 2020. If he does not, I think he can't stand not being in the limelight, and he'll probably try to insert himself in some of those races. Honestly, though, Thomas, I'm not convinced that's what happened. I don't know that it was Trump's endorsement that caused the GOP to lose Georgia, lose Pennsylvania. He, he supported um, J.D. Vance in Ohio, who was an outspoken Trump supporter. J.D. Vance won. So I don't know that you could attribute every major loss it, it is true it's a common thread of those who lost, but there are several who won that got his endorsement as well. So it's kind of hard to make a definitive conclusion on that basis. I personally hope he just stays out. I would agree with you on that, Thomas. And I hope that's the case. This is going to be interesting to watch. The fair tax. We're going to get to that when we come back. Stay with us on Middays in the Element Wealth Studios. Back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. In the Element Wealth Studios, Super Talk Mississippi. Uh, Gerard, this is from Sam from Mount Hermon. Here's the problem with Biden wanting to get rid of natural gas in homes. What will all of those homes do when there is no power from some unseen cause and they have a backup generator but can't use it? Uh, that's really not even on the table as far as any considerations with this uh, proposal. And we should also point out the proposal would ban the manufacture, new manufacturing at some point, of uh, gas-powered stoves. It's not that you can't continue to use those which are presently in use. It's just the banning of the manufacturing. It's like the incandescent light bulb deal. That bans manufacturing. No new incandescent light bulbs will be manufactured. The ban would also apply to the importation of gas-powered stoves. Not would it prohibit the manufacture of gas stoves in this country. It would also bar importing 
gas stoves. Just to make sure you don't try to work around. You gotta save the planet here. Yeah, it's nuts. You're totally crazy. You got a there you go, Rhino, when you bumped us out of the last segment with the Allman Brothers, by the way. George Bush gave us overpriced LED lights. Obama gave us dishwashers that don't dry. How about toilets that don't flush? Remember Trump talking about that? And Biden wants to take away gas stoves. Government, please stay out of my house. I tell you, it's all about doing with less, and they celebrate it. They don't even apologize for it. They, they see it as something noble. I'm making people do with less. Look how great I am. It's the nanny state. It's arrogant bureaucrats telling us how to live. It is prodigiously hubristic. They lust for control. No doubles when you're playing tennis. Golly. Well, with respect to the incandescent, why don't we just ban, why don't we just figure out a way to produce more electricity? What about that? That ever come up? Doesn't seem like it. Just doesn't seem like it. But, you know, when you think about the other side of the equation, all the various tax credits, all the redistribution from government, if you talk about imposing work requirements on any of that, they go nuts, melt down on you, totally. So I said earlier we'd get to this fair tax. Here's a bill. Senator, pardon me, Representative Cart Carter from Georgia has a bill that would, in fact, enact the fair tax. It would abolish the income tax and the IRS. This is incredible that this bill, after all these years, because this has been around a while, you've, you've seen lots of discussion about the fair tax, certainly. I think people have, and I think it's fair to say most really don't know what the heck is in that thing. What is a, this fair tax deal, what does it mean? And in, in essence, it, uh, again, it abolishes the IRS. Instead of needing 80, 87,000 agents to come shake you down, you wouldn't need that anymore. It would eliminate the need for the department altogether. The basic concept is that a 23% consumption tax would be implemented. So goods and services, virtually without exception, would all be subject to that 23% tax. Now, that tax has components. One of those components is that 23% money to fund Social Security and Medicare. So your, your Social Security and Medicare contributions you see being withheld from your pay, withheld from your pay as part of your paycheck. You see that there's two buckets. There's Medicare, there's Social Security. That's the OAS and the DI and the HI. OAS, DI, Social Security, 
HI's hospital insurance, that's Medicare. You see those two? That would go away. That would be funded with the 23% part of it would go, 23% consumption tax, part of that would be peeled out, go to the Social Security and Medicare trust funds. Rest of it goes to the federal government to, to operate the, essentially the general fund spending of government. Those would be the components. So it, it gets a little complicated, even though at first sight, and it, and it just at first blush, you think, yeah, that sounds real simple. 23%, everybody pays it. It's levied on all consumption. Really no exemption, ex, uh, exceptions. By the way, it would also eliminate the, the so-called death tax, the estate tax, gift taxes as well. And it would replace the current tax code with a national consumption tax. This has been the dream of the fair tax proponents. And I would say, Rhino, a lot of libertarians really oh, lean, yeah. lean heavy on this. And the idea is that it's considered to be more productive and efficient to tax consumption versus income. And I do believe there is a lot of truth to that. What that needs to look like that, that's a long, deep debate. But the fair tax itself is being put on the table, I believe, today in the House for a vote. Introduced again by, it's, uh, let's see, there's several co-signers on the bill, but there's one in particular, and I believe his name's Carter, I'm looking for it, from Georgia. And there are a few others. Bob Good in Virginia. Yeah, Buddy Carter. Buddy Carter, that's it, thank you. Jeff Duncan, South Carolina, several others. Andrew Clyde, Georgia. Scott Perry, who I've come to see more of, the Republican from Pennsylvania. He was honestly a point man in negotiating with Kevin McCarthy. 23%, okay? So you would think, that's simple. And then I go look at the text of the bill last night. Started reviewing it. It's 133 pages. And my first thought when I opened it up was, well, that ain't simple. And then I start wondering, well, maybe that's because it's got lots of language where it's having to pull forward, you know, as we see in the state of Mississippi, language in present statute, present law. No. It's 133 pages. And then I look at what are known as credits. Credits. Rebates, if you will. There's a series of them. So even though you're paying this 23% tax, Chapter 2 of the legislation is entitled Credits semicolon, refunds. There are eight sections to that. So, so much for simplification. One of those, you got to love it, the business use conversion credit. I'm just going to read it to you. You think this is simple? This is not very long. Let me read it to you. 
For purposes of Section 201, a person's business use conversion credit for any month is the aggregate of the amounts determined under subsection B with respect to taxable property and services, one, on which tax was imposed by Section 101 and actually paid, and two, which commenced to be 95% or more used during each month for business purposes within the meaning of subsection 102. It's computed as the product of the rate imposed by Section 101 and the quotient that is the fair market value of the property or service when it is converted divided by the quantity that is 1 minus the tax rate imposed by Section 101. That's simple, isn't it? You got that. I had to read it 18 times. And let's try to apply the math to that. Still not sure I got it right. Well, that doesn't sound like we're making any progress simplifying that. Because you know what happens is, that'll come out with 4,000 pages of code just to codify that. Yeah, so... Well, I mean... In fairness, the whole first chapter is nothing but definitions, and it's four pages. Well, that's true. But it's 132 pages. Yeah. That doesn't sound very simple to me. When we come back, uh, I'll share with you, though, the what's called the pre-bait. Pre-bait. you got to stick around to hear that. We're in the Element Well Studios today. Coming right back. Listening to Middays with Gerard, Gerard Gibbert, here on Super Talk, Mississippi. Well, studios, super top Mississippi. Let me get to Paul in Meridian here. Why not just have a national sales tax? Then people that don't pay any income tax would actually have skin in the game. That's what we're talking about, Paul. That's what this is. The fair tax is a sales tax. It's a consumption tax. 23%. He said 2%. 2% won't come close to paying the bills. Dedicated to Social Security. Oh, okay. He says 2% separate sales tax. Well, that won't come close to taking care of Social Security and Medicare either. Those are presently uh, combined employer and employee 14.5%, I think. I'd have to look it up because it may have just changed. But combined uh, OASDI and uh, HI tax for 2023, I want to say is... Up to, yes, yeah, 7.65% apiece. So it's even higher. It went up some. And so did the Social Security uh, base wage. That increased to 160200 That's the limit. That's the cutoff at which Social Security taxes uh, stop on wages, end on wages, in a given year, that is, on... on uh, 
HI, Medicare, there is no threshold on that, no limit. So 6.2% is what you pay for Social Security, the OASDI portion. Then you layer on that the the Medicare, which is uh, another 1.45% each for the employee and the employer. So a total between Social Security and Medicare to the employee, 7.65, 7.65 to the employer, total of 15.3%. You're looking at that? So what you see, too? Yeah, I think it just increased. So, yeah, 2% won't won't work, of course, Paul. It's got to be to just to stay where we are. And by the way, even at the present levels, the thing's going bankrupt. So the 6.2% we're paying into Social Security and our employer is matching for a total of 12.4%. It's not sustainable to keep the thing solvent, not based on the benefits that are being output. So that's what this is. It's 23%. Darren Jackson says, can I opt out of Social Security? No, you cannot. And that was the, the, the uh, clip we played earlier between Representative Byron Donalds and the race lady, Joy Reid, was discussing that prospect. Byron was arguing. She tried to pin him down on it. Are you for privatizing Social Security? And he, he said cautiously, yeah, I think there's some merit, and I'm paraphrasing here, to investigating it. And she argued that that would mean that folks' retirement savings would be subjected to the whims of the market. And all he's saying is, well, what if people want that? See, the problem is the, these, this program, these defined benefit plans that pay you till you die, they don't work unless everybody's paying into them. And then they still don't work, which is why we got a problem today. But it's unlike your traditional private 401k, IRA, Roth plan you would have with your employer, which doesn't pay you benefits until you die. It just pays you benefits you withdraw until you withdraw them all. That's all it does. So it's, that's, the, uh, that's both the magic and the flaw of Social Security and Medicare. It's just not sustainable, especially since we keep getting older, we're not producing new workers, and the ratio of workers paying in, which is what funds, by the way, present benefits, not what you paid in. What you paid in funded folks that were receiving benefits when you were paying in. It's a pay-as-you-go system by design. So the 23% is levied on, for the most part, all taxable goods and services, which is virtually everything in reading the legislation. And then there's this thing called a prebate. Prebate. And the idea there is under this fair tax, you're going to get a check every month from the federal government. Now, I use the check as a euphemism. It could be electronic transfer, like the STEMI checks were, right? Oh, yeah. And this rebate is going to be computed as the fair tax rate which is 23%, multiplied by, in the, in the legal language, the product of, right, is what they say. The fair tax rate, 23%, times the federal poverty level for your household based on the number in your household. 
It doesn't matter if you're a billionaire or your income is below the federal poverty level. You're going to get 23% times the federal poverty level. Now, just to give you an idea of that, a, a couple that uh, with a family of four, the federal poverty level, I'd have to look it up, but it just comes to memory that it's around $30,000, $32,000 a year, the federal poverty level for a, a, a married income couple. A uh, family of Mid- four is $27,750. Okay, so I was a little high. Family of four. So you can do the math, 23% times $27,750. You're going to get a rebate of that. So what's that, about 6000 bucks or so? Yeah. Yeah, per year. Okay, so 500 bucks a month. Just go send you. Those, <laughs> that rebate, this is the language, is designed to cover the necessities of life. You're not paying, the idea is you don't pay the, the 23% consumption tax on the necessities of life. So if you're a billionaire under the fair tax and you spend $10 million a year, you're going to pay $2.3 million in taxes, consumption taxes. Not earn $10 million, spend $10 million. You follow me there? Yeah. Spending 10 He's still getting his $6,000 a year. And, and if you're a middle-income married couple with no children, for example, and they spend $50,000, they're going to get a prebate as well, which is going to be the... 2.3% of a two-person household. What's that, Rhino? Around 24000 20000 something like that, federal poverty level? A uh, two-person household is eighteen three ten. Okay. I'm a little off by a couple of grand, but you get the point there. So 23% of that, which is going to be about 4000 bucks a year, you're going to get that divided by 12 each month as a prebate. And so what the idea is there is it brings down that 23% to an effective rate that's lower because you're getting the prebate. Now, to the guy making $10 million a year, that $6,000 doesn't really change his effective rate very much. Just doing the math there. So that's, that's the way they position it. That's the way they, it, they present it. That's how you keep it from negatively impacting lower income earners having to spend a larger percentage of their overall income. That's correct. You're exactly right. That's the idea. It's designed to protect. So that's that's also the argument back at the left who opposes this almost universally, if not universally, because they view it as regressive, which simply means that it places a higher tax burden on the lower income ranges than it does the higher income. I'm not honestly sure that's the case. I'd have to do you'd have to do some some case studies because a lot of higher income people earn a fair amount of their income, not their wealth, but their income from capital gains, dividends, interest, etc., which is taxed differently than ordinary income, wages. 
but it's still 20%. And on top of that, they're paying the 3.8% Medicare tax. So even if all of their income were capital gains, it, which would be taxed at 23.8%, then this would be 23%, but they're going to get 6000 bucks a year back. Which, which that year. would be like an example, like Steve Jobs when he was alive working for Apple, where his salary yearly was a dollar. That's right. But he made all the rest of his money in capital gains. Yeah, and investments and assets, but he's still paying the capital gains tax rate, which is effectively the same as the fair tax consumption tax rate. They're both 23%, 23.8 on the uh, capital gains, 23% on the fair tax. Darren and Jackson, wow, sounds good to me. When do we start? I'm a little surprised by that. So you're, I, you probably ought to take a look, Darren, at uh, what your effective income tax rate was on your uh, last year's in, uh, income tax return to see if this would be a better situation for you. We're coming right back. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Becky was a beauty from South Alabama. Her daddy had a heart like a nine-pound hammer. Think he even did a little time in the slammer. What was I thinking? Got one night and met me by the front gate Her daddy came out waving that 12-gauge We tore out the drive, he peppered my tailgate What was I thinking? Oh, I knew there'd be hell to pay We are back in the Element Well Studios So, on the ceasefire text line, I retired from the City of Laurel Police Department and never paid into Social Security Assuming you don't get any benefits as well There was some... We were looking it up, talking about it on the break. There apparently was some deal cut some time ago, 40 or so years ago. And there's some other entities, jurisdictions, public sector, that is, in the country that also negotiated some sort of exemption. The Texas Railroad Authority or something like that comes to mind where they had some sort of special exemption deal cut did not pay into Social Security as a result. But in general, and there's some other state governments as well, as best I could tell, and do a little quick research that negotiated some exemptions. But in general, everybody else, and today, very few since then. Right? Paula Meridian asks, so a $6 dozen of eggs would have a 23% sales tax on it. You got it. That's exactly right. Does this bill remove capital gains taxes on the ceasefire tax line? It does. There's this one tax, 23% on income. Now, it is absolutely true that on here consumption. we... On consumption. Pardon me, pardon me, on consumption. The, the problem, just as we've discussed before, just how convoluted are the code or the statutes is the code on defining income. IRS code we're talking about. The same applies here with respect to defining consumption. 
And that's one of the hurdles of this deal, because this is where the lobbyists come out and all the backroom deals get cut. Okay, define consumption. Like, would that apply to your house? Your rent? You see where I'm going with that? It's, it's as complicated as sales taxes are, and as different as sales taxes are at the state level, which are levied by states, not at the national level. Just recall the debate we had last year with respect to elimination of the income tax, which the original House bill, talking about the state of Mississippi House, called for an increase in sales taxes. And then we start looking into that more closely, and we figure, well, there's all kinds of crazy exemptions for sales taxes that have just been accumulated through the years. The farm implements, manufactured housing, loggers, power consumed by farmers, retail sale of automobiles is different if it's a used in a, in a new, all kinds of crazy things. So, same things here. You're back to, okay, well, what exactly is consumption? And then the other issue we have is, oh, this little thing called the 16th Amendment, which does not empower the federal government to levy a consumption tax. It only empowers them to levy an income tax. And then you've got this complicated subsidy prebate stuff and all the other refunds and credits that I'm looking at through this thing that are just hurts your head reading about it. So while generally I think this is a, a, a good idea, and I conceptually support taxing consumption over income, I think it's more efficient and more productive and would yield greater economic benefit, like everything else, it's just dang complicated. Just complicated. Moe says, do you think Governor Reeves will declare next Monday Robert E. Lee Day like he and other governors have in the past? There's a bit of controversy brewing right now on that, right? There's a call to I mean, it's the same bill that. that gets dropped every year to drop Robert E. Lee Day from the holiday. Yeah. I thought you had a choice. Or maybe that's not Robert E. Lee. I thought there was a choice of... Well, no, in the state Martin. calendar of holidays, Robert E. Lee's birthday and Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday are both celebrated on the third Monday in the month. That's what I'm thinking of. So you're off, and you just, I guess, just personally declare, I'm off for Robert E. Lee Day, I'm off for MLK Day, right? Yeah, it's still a state holiday, either way. <laughs> Postal workers do not pay in, we're reminded, on the ceasefire tax line. That is correct. They have their own independent pension, which, by the way, is bankrupt. That's why the Postal Service had, like lost $8 billion last year, and that's mainly because of its pension obligations, because it's a defined benefit plan, which means you get benefits until you die, regardless of how much you paid in. And at the rate... Life expectancy is going, is trending. You're going to end up being retired and drawing benefits for longer than you work. That's definitely trending. We're out of time here today. We thank you so much for joining us. And we are going to be back in the Element Well Studios tomorrow. Until then, please stay safe and God bless everyone.
Mississippi Media Production.